Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. Today's scripture is Luke 9, 1-6. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Good morning, everyone. How are you? Hey, fall is here, huh? Yeah, yeah, I wore the hat, and I didn't ask. I started to ask someone, I was like, I'm, I don't care, I'm in charge, I'm wearing the hat, no one cares. Because fall is here, we have pumpkin spice communion bread and celebration this morning. Just kidding about that. So we're going to continue in Luke. Uh, really cool passage today that, that I just had Aaron read it, and it's going to be a while till we get back to it, but it's a passage that could easily be looked over and be like, okay. That's great. He sends out the 12 with power and authority. They do their thing. And so if you've been following us in Luke for several weeks now, Luke has been taking us through different miracles of Jesus and shown where he has power and authority over nature, over demons, over sickness, over death. And now you're going to see a little transition he's going to do, and it'd be easy to look over, but here's what he's going to do, big picture. He's going to take you from stories of Jesus and his power and authority And now, Jesus is going to give that power and authority to his disciples. The passage after this, if you read ahead, you'll see that he feeds the 5,000, but there's this real cool thing. He he doesn't do it. He tells the disciples, hey, you feed them. And he works through them. So we're going to make a little shift here into this idea of Jesus and his disciples and the idea that it's not just a one-man show where Jesus comes to do something that Jesus is actually going to give some power and authority to those. And it's easy one to, under, to, to miss and, and just kind of pass over. And this passage doesn't really make much sense, or maybe doesn't seem very big until we understand the culture in which this is found. And we tell you that every week, and we talk about the Jewish roots, and we're going to do that today again. And then hopefully as you understand the Jewish tradition this passage may jump out as a little bit like, okay, wow, wow. Hey, if we can get some house lights, it's, I can't see anyone out here. And I, thank you. I want to see your smiling faces because you're going to talk back to me, right? Yeah, we're going to have some fun today. All right, here we go. So in, a, in the first century, in the first century Jewish context, a Jewish rabbi would have disciples. And we talk about disciples here at Hill City. We talk about making disciples. You've heard that idea of disciple. But my goal this morning is to help us better understand in the first century Jewish world what a disciple was. Remember the the time in which we are, the Jews, faith is at a high point. They have learned their lesson through generations of walking away from God, being conquered by another nation, being taken off to exile, these 
three or four hundred years before this, these exiles return to Jerusalem, they rebuild the wall, and they are serious about their walk with God. They love Yahweh, they want to follow Yahweh. And the, the elders pass this on to their children. Here, here's what the elders knew. They were one generation away from Israel walking away from God. Parents, let's think about that. They knew they were one generation away from Israel as a nation walking away from God. And because of that, they took the education of their children in the ways of Yahweh. They took that very serious. A, a, a first century historian, historian named Josephus said this, Above all else, we pride ourselves on the education of our children. That's what he said. So in order for them to pass on the ways of Yahweh, they knew that they must educate their children. And so if you were a good Jewish man, boy or girl, all of us this morning, good little Jewish boys and girls, when you got to elementary age, where we might start kindergarten, you would start a school, and this school was called Beth Sefer. Can you say that? Okay, Beth Sefer. All right, come on. I'm going to wake you up this morning. I was in Nashville this week. Brad and I were at a conference. I heard a black preacher preach, and I'm fired up again. Okay? Come on now. Come on. What's the name of the school? Best Suffer, right? Think elementary school. And so if you were a good Jewish boy or girl, not just a good one, if you were a bad one like me in elementary school, you started Best Suffer. I had my little desk at the front of the room, always. And in Beth Sefer, you would start learning the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. That was your curriculum. It's where you would learn to read and write, but instead of, of reading history or studying, like you studied and read the Torah. That was your curriculum. This is where little Jewish boys and girls would start memorizing the scriptures. And then learning how to incorporate those scriptures into their day, daily life. I'm talking kindergarten, first grade, second grade. By the time they're hitting up second grade, third grade, fourth grade, some of them, many of them have the Torah almost memorized. There you go, Teresa. Thank you, girl. I told her she was going to help me today. <laughs> and they took it serious. And so their elementary school students would be in Beth Sefer, taught by a rabbi, learning the Torah, learning what it meant to follow Yahweh, memorizing the Old Testament. Now at the end, as they reach 10, 11, 12 year old, 12 years of age, most of the students would end Beth Sefer and then go off to do their family trade. The girls, 11, 12, 13 years, year olds, would go off and prepare to be married and have children. That's why when, when Mary comes along, she's 11, 12, 13, she's already engaged. So the, the girls would prepare to marry. The boys would go off and start to learn their family trades. So if your dad was a carpenter, you would start learning how to be a carpenter, 11, 12 years of age. That was for most of the students. But for those in Best Suffer, the best from Beth Sefer would be invited to go on to another school where the most of the population would go on and start learning the trade, the girls would prepare to marry. A select group, and I would not have been in this group, were invited to the second level of school. 
Now this is called Beth Midrash. Help me. Thank you. Memorization of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, was required for entry. You ever read the first five books? It was required. This was for the best of the best. This was taught by a rabbi, and he would teach these usually young men, almost always young men, the rest of the Old Testament, to which they would memorize most of it also. He would teach them how to understand the Word of God in a, in a, in a more deep way. Remember, we've talked a lot about the difference between the, the Eastern way of learning and the Western. And so he wouldn't teach them, okay, Deuteronomy chapter 3, point number 1, do, that's not how they taught. So how they would learn, how they would learn is he would throw out a scripture. And he would want his dis- disciples, his, his learners, to be able to tell him the scripture before and the scripture after. Or he would throw out a scripture from Deuteronomy and he would expect them to answer with a scripture from Genesis that maybe reinforces what he said to which then he this cra- crazy educational system. Remember, they took it serious. And they would have, by that time, most of, at least the first five books, but most of the Old Testament memorized. not blow your mind? How many of you tried to memorize like Philippians 4.13? You're like, okay, I can get this, <laughs> right? And here's what we say, right? I can't memorize, right? Would you, anyone? Okay. Or maybe you can. Okay, this is where you're going to help me. You ready? I want you to complete this. In... West Philadelphia. <laughs> Chilling out, Maxon. And a couple of guys. Okay, okay, we can do it all. I can't memorize. Really? How old were you when you heard that? Come on now. See, we memorize. What's a value to our culture? Fair? And it's in the guilt trip. I know the whole song too, right? I could sing every Garth Brooks song from memory. <laughs> it was the value of their culture. And so in Beth Midrash, the second level of school, is where these older upper elementary, junior high age kids would learn the Torah, learn how to understand, and and it'd be cool to sit in a classroom because as I was thinking about what this looked like of them learning, remember it's not point number one, learn this, it's this back and forth. The rabbi would ask a question from the text, they would answer with usually another question from a different text, which he would go back and forth, And, and as I was thinking about this, it reminds me of a lightsaber battle, right, from Star Wars. You know, Darth Vader comes up, when I left Obi-Wan, I was just a learner, but now I'm the master. And Obi-Wan says, only a master of evil, Darth. And and they do this for a while, then they come back. Your power is fading, old man. Back and forth. That was how they learned the scripture. And Beth Midrash. It was for the best. There's this cool story that we could overlook if we don't understand from Luke chapter 2. 
of Jesus at the temple. You guys remember this? Jesus' parents go to Jerusalem to the temple to, as, as part of the, the tradition. And they leave a day's journey and Jesus is in there. Let, let me read it to you. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when Jesus, he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but he supposed them to be a group, in the group. They went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among the people, the relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find them, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. So they leave for a day, come back to Jerusalem looking for Jesus, 12 years old. After three days, they found him, where? In the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Why was Jesus at the temple at 12 years old asking questions? Because he was in Beth Midrash. He was in this second level of Jewish education. Learning from the rabbis, asking questions. And it says, even at as the rabbis, these teachers are listening, they're amazed at this, his, his understanding of the knowledge. And so, the first level was for all kids. Most of them went on to earn the fa- learn the family trade. The second level was for the best, Bethman Rash, where they would learn the, decide, learn the Torah. Now, most of them, at that point, would go on to learn the family tree. But the best of the best, a, a, a child that showed an enormous amount of gifting, an enormous amount of passion, was able to communicate the scriptures, able to have it memorized, and excelled in the most competitive culture, they would go on to the third level. And this level was Talmud. Say Talmud. You're getting quiet again. Come on. Thank you. Thank you. And these were the most gifted students. A Talmud is what we would call disciple. So the best of the best would enter and they would begin Talmud. And so what would happen is they would leave their father and their mother and they would start to follow a famous rabbi. Now, they are not disciples of that rabbi yet. They are simply just following him. That's Talmud. Now, there's two types of rabbis. So they would start following rabbis at Talmud. There are two types of rabbis. There are Torah rabbis, and these were rabbis that would teach the children uh, the Torah. And then there are rabbis with smika. Say smika. Smika. Means authority. Okay? Rabbis with authority. So, to give you an idea of what, how many rabbis there were in Jerusalem in this day, there was about two million people. There were only about five rabbis with smika. So we're talking a very, very select. And so if you were one of the Talmud, the best of the best, you would start following, well, you would ask permission to follow one of these rabbis with smika. Okay, another, hopefully illustrating Jesus here in some of the Gospels, Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. Here's what it says. When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowd were astonished at his, at his teaching, for he was teaching as one who had authority, smika, and not as scribes. See, most rabbis, 
with Smeka were very old. As a matter of fact, some of them were not even be considered rabbis with Smeka until many years after their death. Think Vincent van Gogh. No one knew he was paintings were a masterpiece until long after he died. So the idea that Jesus, as a 30-year-old man, was seen as a rabbi with Smeka authority was a huge deal. Mark chapter 11, verse 27. We'll see this, see this again. And they came again to Jerusalem, and he was, as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and scribes and the elders came to him, and they said, by what authority? Are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority, this smika, to do them? That's a good question because a rabbi was not considered one with smika until another rabbi smika said that they were one with smika. Now Jesus comes on saying, I have this authority. And they're like, hey, where do you get this? And I love Jesus' response. And you get to see a little bit of this back and forth Jewish discussion. In verse 29, Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism, and here's Jesus' question, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. There's the question. And they discussed it. They get in a group with one another saying, okay, if we say he's from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe? But shall we say from man, and the, they're afraid of the people. So they're trying to decide, like, how do we answer this question? So they answered Jesus, verse 33, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I have. Just back and forth. And so the idea that Jesus, as a 30-year-old rabbi, came as a rabbi with smika with authority was huge in this culture. And so you, if you were a Talmud, if you were the best of the best, that made it through all these levels of school and you excelled and you had a certain passion and a certain drive and a commitment, you would leave your father and mother and you would start to follow a rabbi with smika. You would ask permission to follow him. He might tell you no and you're out. But he might say, okay, yes, you can follow me and you would live with him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It consumed your life. And if you are a kid you're a young boy that's following a rabbi at this level, your mind is like a computer for the scriptures. I, we, you could go up to a Jew, a Jewish boy, it's a Talmud, and say, hey, what passages in the Old Testament speak of doves? He could just boom, 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 name them off. I mean, his mind was a computer. And it was a working audition. And you might follow this rabbi as a Talmud for some time. And then eventually... If you had what it took, after some time, that rabbi may come to you and, say, and you would finally say, hey, rabbi, I've been following you as a Talmud. May I now follow you as a disciple? Most would be turned down, but the best of the best of the best would be invited to follow the rabbi with Shemika as a disciple. Come follow me, he would say. They would walk with the rabbi for years, for years, as a disciple, until the rabbi would finally announce to you, okay, you have arrived, you are now a rabbi, go and make other disciples. That may be when you're 40, 50, 60, 70 years old. Now, why do I tell you all this? 
Why do we take the time to understand the, the Jewish context and how their education system went, worked and, and what it looked like to be a disciple? Here's why. Because as we see Jesus and how he operates, it was countercultural. We skipped over this passage uh, in Luke. I'll, I'll quote the one in Matthew. But Jesus was a rabbi with Shemekah. And he goes, just like any other rabbi, to find disciples. But it's interesting where he goes. Matthew 4, 18, we see it here. Walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Remember that. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called to them and immediately left their boat, and they followed him. So Jesus, Rabbi Wasmika, goes to get disciples. Where does he go? This little town called Bethsaida, which, which is about 600 people, a little fishing village. The, the, the name literally means fishing village. And he goes to find some young boys that are fishing. Question, why are they fishing? Because they didn't make the cut. They went to best so far, the, the first level. They weren't the best of the best. So what did they do? They went to learn the family trade just like everyone else did. They were not good enough. And Jesus walks up to them and says, as a Jewish rabbi with Shemekha, Come follow me. And immediately they leave everything, which, is, which we can read this and it's like, man, they just like left and just followed this random dude they don't know. We got to understand what it meant to be a disciple, a Talmud of a rabbi. I mean, this was the center of their culture. It would be, you know, we, we work with a football team in Missouri State. It'd be like today at practice if Bill Belichick from the Patriots comes up and says, hey, a uh, couple of you guys come with me. Guys, they're taking off their Missouri State jersey right there. <laughs> and they're going. There's no question. Right? <laughs> yeah, I knew it. There's no question. Because a rabbi with Smika looks at them and says, hey, I believe in you. He chose them. And when Jesus chooses them, he is communicating an invitation from God to the rest of humanity, the upside-down kingdom. The thought of that day, the best of the best. They were the only ones that could follow God, the only ones that could know God, can interpret the scriptures, and Jesus is communicating, no, 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 no. I will do this with ordinary fishermen who did not make the cut. Later in John, he'll tell the disciples this. Hey, you did not choose me. I chose you. Remember, because in the education system, like, they would rise, 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 and they would, they would go to rabbi and that they wanted to follow. They would start following. They would finally, after someday, ask him, hey, can I follow you? Here's what Jesus says. Hey, you didn't come choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask in the name of the Father, I may give it to you. For most didn't make it. Some ordinary fishermen were invited to follow.
Now, Luke chapter 9, long introduction. Verse 1. And he calls these 12 together, these ordinary guys, and he gave them power and, what's the word? What's the word? Smika. Authority. What? These are fishermen. They didn't make the cut. They're not the best. And he just gave them Smika. And they go out. And they start operating as people with authority and with Smika. And they start casting out demons. And they start curing diseases just like Jesus did. What's Luke trying to show us here? He's trying to show us the upside-down kingdom. He's shown us all these stories where Jesus has power and authority, Smika overall, and now he shows us this shift where Jesus says, hey, it's not just about me. It's not just that I'm this one-man show that's come to, like, listen, I'm going to call you. You're fishing. You don't, you're not the best of the best. I'm going to equip you, and now I'm going to give you a power and authority. I'm going to send you out. This is an announcement to all of humanity what it looks like to follow Christ and what this new kingdom looks like. It is an announcement that God's kingdom is at hand and his kingdom is not limited by the best of the best of the best. It's for all. So he gives them power and authority. Whose? His. It's not that Peter walks around, yep, I have this authority. No, Jesus says, you're going to take my authority and you're going to operate as me and bring the kingdom just like I'm bringing the kingdom. You have my authority. And he even tells them, look, as you go into town and they don't accept you, shake the dust off your clothes. This idea, like, listen, it's not up to you to change them, Peter. You go in my authority you preach in my authority. If they reject you, Peter, it's not because you didn't talk very well. It's because they rejected me. I've told you many times, by the grace of God, I do not live and die by your approval of me on stage. I really don't. Sunday afternoons, I sleep like a baby. By the grace of God. Why? Because I know it's not on my power and authority. I'm not trying to talk you into faith this morning. I'm not trying to talk you into following God. It's his power. It's his authority. And then in Matthew 28, so Jesus dies, he resurrects. This, I mean, this is what, a year, year and a half later? He's going to look at these same disciples Verse 16, now the 11 disciples, remember they've lost one, Judas, went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when, he saw, when they saw him, they worshiped. Get this, but some doubted. This is the 11. Jesus has died, resurrected. He brings them to the mountain. They worship, but some are still like, I don't know about this. And he came to those people who were doubting. And said, here we go, all, what's the word? Authority, Smika, has been given to you. Now go and make disciples. Remember I told you, if you were a Tamid, you would follow a disciple for many, many years before he would finally say, okay, now you are a rabbi, go make other disciples. Here's an invitation of Jesus. 
to a bunch of 14-year-olds, 15, 16-year-olds, hey, I have authority. I'm giving it to you. Now you go make other disciples. Countercultural. Countercultural. So hear me, these disciples aren't heroes. I mean, follow their, follow their life. They've been following Jesus, and right before the cross, they're sitting there arguing about who's the best and who will be sitting right next to him. They're not heroes. They are ordinary men with this extraordinary call because they've been given power and authority by Jesus. And he tells them, you go make disciples. Like, let's not wait until you're old men. I've taught you. Now go. See, remember, the thought of this day was you listen. You don't know enough. You can't know God. The only hope that you have is listening to a rabbi that knows God. And Jesus is going to blow up the scene and say, no, no, no. You go. You experience the kingdom. Jesus would say to the disciples, listen, I called you. I believe in you. You have something to give. You go. Go experience. Now what about us? We hear, we, there's this phrase in Christianity that I hate. You need to ask Jesus into your life. No. Jesus invites you into his life. See the difference? You don't ask, hey, Jesus, may I follow? No, Jesus comes up to you while you're an ordinary fisherman, says, hey, you follow me. I'm choosing you. Hey, I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you. And you are ordinary. But I'm choosing you, and I'm giving you this extraordinary call, and I'm giving you my power and my authority, and you go. I believe in you. That's what Jesus would communicate to us this morning. If you are here as a follower of Christ, listen, you didn't choose him, he chose you. What could that communicate to you? Because I, I get to talk to you, and I'm telling you, for, for Christians who are following Christ, the, the, this morning as you walk in, for most of you, one of the biggest areas of, of guilt or shame in your life is, I'm not doing enough. I don't know enough. You're right. It's not your authority. Jesus would look at you and say, listen, I have chosen you. I have gifted you. It's not your authority. Go. I believe in you. What would it mean for your life if you started to believe that it's not your authority, it's Jesus, and you just started taking steps? I'm an ordinary fisherman. What could God do in your life, in this church, if we start to reorient the way we think about discipleship and Christianity. Listen, if you're here, Jesus didn't just save you from something, hell. He saved you for something. There's a mind shift difference there. See, if I'm just saved from something, then I just come here and I try to be good and not cuss very often and give my money and tithe and one day I'll be in glory forever. But there's a mind shift that happens when I realized I'm saved for something. And it's not ordinary. Say for something. 
And, he, and even just thinking back on my life, guys, I wish you could know me when I was 8, 10, 12. I was the turd elementary school kid. I was. I, and I, Joe, I had my desk in the side, front side of the room. I did. And junior high, high school, I cared about football and hunting. And I was not, like, you would have never picked me out and said, man, that guy's going to lead it. Like, never. And then sometime in college, this, I started to get this idea that the Lord had, had called me. To, and guys, I didn't know. I, I praised Jesus. They did not have podcasts when I started teaching the Bible at age 21. Because I would hate to see what I said. I mean, I would prepare my message like 30 minutes before I was getting ready to speak. I mean, it must have been awful. But God, God's used me. We joke, Brad and I were both PE majors, both, both coaches, like, here we are. What could God do in you if you started to believe that you were not just saved from something, but saved for something? That Jesus would look at you and say, hey, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I believe in you. Paul would say it like this, this awesome passage would say, listen, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not you in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, living through you, the Holy Spirit indwelling you as a believer. That is your hope for now and then for future, for eternity. Christ in you, the hope of glory. How different could your life look if you started to believe that? That's part one. Next, next week we'll do part two of this idea of discipleship. I'm wrestling all week. Like, okay, I can say this. Okay, Jesus believes in you. He's, what do you do with this? What's, what's the next step? Because some of you are like, all right, all right. like I'm, I'm in. Well, I'm not in. I kind of believe, and I don't know. I mean, I believe for someone else. I'm not sure about me. What do I do? Here's some, here's some ideas for you. Next step. Some of you have been coming to our church, and you maybe grew up in Christianity, maybe you didn't. You've heard us talk about this idea of the green book. What the green book is, it's a way to teach you the gospel in a way that you can understand. Maybe your next step is to go right up to that connections table and sign up and say, hey, I, I want to go through the green book. I want to start to learn what it looks like for me to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit as a believer and be saved for something. Maybe that's your next step. Some of you have been through the green book, okay? You're learning what it means to be saved. You're, you're being liberated from sin. You're learning what it means to, to, to live in light of the gospel. And now your next step is like you can sit there and then come and sit in church for 20 years, or maybe you can start to learn how do I take this, what someone did with me, and take it on to someone else. That, that's the goal, right? Multiplication. So maybe the next step is you need to learn. We do a discipleship conference. I think it's right after the first of the year where we teach you how to walk through this. Maybe that's your next step. I look out, and I know some of you, many of you have been through this green book. You've been through discipleship conference. You learned how to do it, and now you're setting on it. Here's my challenge. It's not your authority. Go do it. Go do it. I know you have doubts. I know you don't know enough. I know that sometimes you're going to be called a hip. Hear me. I've been there. Go do it. And if it doesn't work, you shake the dust off. 
And you keep going. Some of you, maybe it's, I've been coming, I'm learning, I need to jump in and serve. I need to start to use my gifts that I have to, to bless the body. Maybe that's the next step. Again, go to that table and be like, i got to do something. Jesus says, bless me with gifts. I'm not going to sit in church for 20 years. Help me out. Some of you need to take what you have been given even outside of this church. You need to go to a city. Go to the city, one of our nonprofits. You need to get a, a nonprofit that blesses you, and you just need to like go pour into the life of, of homeless teenagers or kids in the foster care system. You need to go, not on your own authority, but in Christ's authority, and show them Jesus. Why? Because Jesus chose you and called you for something. Maybe that's what it is for you. I don't know what it looks like. What could God do in you and through you if you started to believe that you did not choose him, he chose you. What could change? Brad and I were in, this is how I close, Brad and I were in Nashville for three or four days at a leadership conference, and we listen to music every night too. Um, on the drive back, we're talking. And I'm talking through my sermon, we're talking about kind of wrestle through how do we develop people in discipleship and leadership and keep raising people up to see God work through their life. We have some cool stories I could point all over the place of just how you're learning how to use God, God's gift. And we're like, it's hard, it's heavy. Hear me, it would be so much easier to do church. That's what Brad and I are talking about. Like, it'd be so easy just to have some music, sing some songs, nice message, and go and do church. Like, our life would be way, way easier. And we're asking, asking ourselves, why do we have this drive? Why do we want this so bad to see some of you learn to use your gifts and not just our church to be built on the gifts of a few people? Hear me. We talked about this. It's not because we want something from you. It'd be easier for us to do church. We want something for you. Because I have seen one of the joys of ministry is to see people as they come to know the grace of God for themselves, to be used by God for other people and to watch them come alive. It is one of the, one of the most amazing parts of my job. I'm not inviting you to something because I need something from you. It would be way easier to do church. But we are jealous for you. We want something for you. That you, as an ordinary teacher, banker, student, construction worker would see that you have been chosen by the rabbi, that he believes in you. And now he says, go with my authority and make disciples. That will change your life. And now all of a sudden church will not be just a lame hobby you come to. You'll experience what it means to know Christ. So as we come this morning to celebrate communion, May we see that even your salvation is a picture of Jesus' authority. He chose you. And now because he chose you, he invites you to come and remember that he chose you and he's empowered you as a believer in Christ.